welcome to the One Footer in the Grave podcast, where four of the web design industry's most renowned experts, Marcus Lillington, Paul Bogue, Andy Clark and John Hicks, are here to discuss the latest trends and best practices in web design. But unlike other podcasts, these four don't just talk about the serious stuff. They'll also be providing some much needed comic relief as they debate the important questions like which is better, a hamburger menu or a side navigation? And what colour should your call to action button be? So grab your shovel, put on your coolest embalming outfit and get ready to bury the competition with these four hilarious web design experts. So that, that's our intro. I, I've given up doing anything myself. I just get AI to do everything. <laughs> AI talks to my wife. AI deals with my child. That's it now. I've retired and AI is doing everything. That wasn't bad, was it? That was a pretty good it attempt. Wasn't, at it was choice. It was quite spooky, I found. What, what are you talking about? Oh, yes. <laughs> I sound like a, a machine at the best of times. My name yeah. is Paul Bogue. This is the introduction. Well, it did. Yes. <laughs> it was definitely your voice. That was the thing. But it mm-hmm. was that mm-hmm. that lack of like pauses and in emphasis and inflection and that said, all those little bits then, and that 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 is using a tool called uh, Descript. Now, Descript is is brilliant tool. I use it all the time now um, because, say, this podcast, for example, you could upload the the podcast to Descript. It would. Tr- do a trans, uh, transcript of the whole thing for you and it will go through automatically and remove every um and ah and pause and that kind of thing. And you can edit the transcript without touching the audio. So you actually just delete words from the transcript and it will delete them from the audio. And then, oh. you can, then you can overdub. So it's learnt my voice. So if I say the wrong word, you know, that I shouldn't have said or you know, whatever, and I want to put a different word in. Let's say I swear and I want to put a clean version in. <laughs> I go and select the swear word and uh, type in the new word that I want and it will insert my voice in there. And if you just do it with one or two words rather than that whole introduction, you don't notice it. You can't tell. Can it, like, t- change your voice and give you, like, a Jamaican patois or something? <laughs> you know, or... <laughs> Like, you know, I think I think that's what they call cultural appropriation, isn't it? You're oh, not maybe, allowed to do that. Maybe. Yeah. Thing is, you don't want so, it to remove pauses because then it will sound like an American podcast. You know, when it yes. would just be like constantly coming at you all yeah. the time with no pauses and yeah. Well, what's quite nice is you can set the length of pause you want it to remove. So you could uh, say yeah. only only stuff under you know three seconds long. Where you go, uh, <laughs> you know, where you completely freeze up. <laughs> what was it? It was Panic. Sorry, I know this is a bit of a diversion, but Panic Software did this podcast app, and I was trying to remember. I think pretty sure it's pauses. So basically, the longer the pause, the longer the fart noise it, it inserted. <laughs> Into it, <laughs> and it was wonderful because you get these sort of they, they showed and it played an example that was quite quite serious, you know, kind of quite kind of philosophical. <laughs> and the longer the pause, the the greater the you know, it was it was superb. The other nice thing that Descript does is it'll also go through and clean up the audio and make it sound studio like. So it'll it'll remove a lot of the background noise. It makes everything sound bassier and, you know, closer to the mic and stuff like that. And that's really good as well. Mm. Really good quality. I hadn't done that on that piece of uh, audio we just listened to. That was straight, straight as it comes. Um, My questions, Paul, were about this particular piece of software, which might be useful to me. Okay, yes, it would. How I have to 
spend years of my life editing you lot. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, there is no machine on the planet that could do uh, pulling up, you know, when you talk over y- you and all this kind of stuff. But if I could just have it so it's all improved, uh, ums and ahs, uh, ums and ahs and pauses are yeah. removed to start with, that would be... Yeah, but the trouble is you can't now use it on this podcast because the ums and ahs that we're including are actually integral to the content. <laughs> so if you remove this art, for example, it won't make sense. Mind blown. But you I can know, use it first to, time today. You can use it to get rid of the sound of me fiddling with my AirPods case, presumably. No, that doesn't work. That didn't, because, doesn't it? Because nothing, you are talking. Nothing could solve that. You're talking over the time when you're banging the desk and i know well, but if it's an ai yeah, it's but, clever yeah. yeah this this ai stuff will do things like that you um there are you know samples uh there's a new one that's coming out that's got a wait list on it at the moment called adobe um podcast and there's samples of that where there's actually you know kind of music playing in the background and it removes the music entirely mm. Now, it does make your voice sound a little bit synthesized, in Robotic. my opinion. that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. Auto-tuned. just a little bit, but it's not mm. bad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can do so, it. I can remove things, but that's what happens. You end up sounding robotic. Yeah. Mm. But these Paul sounds like that most of the time anyway, so yeah. I don't think... Oh, we've gone in a circle here. <laughs> I why does it? Why does it come back to being rude to me? I've put the, the link in, in the chat. Thanks, Paul. Which no one else can see. Descript.com. Nice. Right, so that's... AI tool number one. I could be <laughs> yeah. going what for What are we talking ever. about today? Oh, you probably already said that earlier, didn't you? Descript. No, yes. I didn't say it in the intro because it was, it was an AI written intro as oh. well. So, so not only was it an AI voice, I didn't write the intro. I said, come up with a... I, I asked ChatGPT, which I'm sure everybody's heard about by now. Even me. I asked ChatGPT to write an intro for the One Footer in the Grave podcast... Featuring Marcus Lillington, Andy, Clark, blah, 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 blah. And, and I said, make it funny. And that was its <laughs> attempt to do that. So I did quite like it, you know, put on your best embalming gear and get <laughs> yeah. out your shovel. Which is the kind I of thing we'd say. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it, it yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I do slag off AI, but that, I think that was good. You know, it was surprisingly good. And if it's that good now, what's it going to be like in two years' yeah. time? So, I, I tell you what really scared the living daylights out of me. is Obviously, I've been blogging for, what, 16, 17 years. And, and I and now asked you're not. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Now, now AI is doing it for me. And this is the scary thing, right? I asked AI, a chat GPT, to write a blog post about, I don't know, some user experience design or something vague user experience design in the style of Paul Boag, right? And it was terrifying because I know I've got certain habits in the way I write. Um, for example, I've got an over-tendency to use the word however or indeed or the hard truth and, <laughs> and things like that. There's certain phrases that I like to use and it had them all in there. It sounded just like my tone of voice. And that was just, that was really creepy. Yeah, I might have to try that because a friend of mine wrote, he asked it to write a biography of me. And it was like, oh, right. and it was like the biography of me that was the successful me. Um, <laughs> you know, it was all about, it was all about, you know, winning these DNAD design awards and that kind of thing. And it was, it was almost like the computer was mocking me. It was going to say, <laughs> you know, 
if, this is what you could have been. If you had turned left, you could have got, had, had this life. But, but no, you can only imagine it. Well, you yeah. know when you get those emails from people saying, you know, hey, could we submit an article to your blog? You know, they're all mm. kind of, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. kind of black hat SEO mm. bollocks. Um, but there's literally zero effort for those guys now because they could just go, you know, well, mm. write me a, an article of a thousand words about C++ programming and bingo, you know, cut and paste and away you go. But here's the problem with that. And this is why I think it's almost going to cause a collapse in in digital marketing. Right. So in, in digital marketing at the moment, um, you know, obviously content marketing is hugely important. SEO is hugely important. Ads are hugely important. Now, all of that stuff can now be auto generated with AI. But the problem is, is that Google is capable or already there are lots of tools that are capable of identifying AI content, even if we're not. Right. So it's going to start penalizing AI content because obviously you're going to it's low quality content that's being auto generated. So, you know, if you're someone that does accept those kinds of guest posts or you have sponsored posts, you're going to end up damaging your own SEO rankings by po- uh, posting AI content to it, even if you don't necessarily realize it's AI content. So you get into this really complicated thing. And of course, it's even worse than that. You know, because it's now so easy to create that kind of AI based content, you're going to see this explosion even bigger than there already is of content marketing, low quality content marketing. So effectively, content marketing is dead now as a as a medium for marketing purposes, which I think could work out very well for us as UX designers, because it's going to push marketing people towards UX as the way of differentiating themselves in the market. Because, you know, if you can't just if you can't provide lots of advice and guidance, you have to provide a good experience, you know. So mm. it's, it's an interesting time. I'm wow. quite I'm very excited at the moment by AI. Well, yeah, can. we seem to have got Paul onto his pet subject. But I say mm. you don't yeah. work in digital marketing, though, do you? So that, that's probably <laughs> help, helps to be excited about this as a tool that means you don't have to, you know, spend money on digital marketing or copywriters. I I think, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but though I'm sure Google can identify, um, you know, uh, AI-generated content, if it can be proven that AI-generated content works from a content marketing aspect, if you can show examples of it working, then Google might stop caring as much. They might do, yes. Mm. You, you, you've got a fair point. But I, I think there's an important thing to say here. Because John just said something that I thought was very interesting. Yeah, of course, digital marketers like this because they don't have to pay copywriters. Actually, that's not true. Um, and I, I, I think a lot of people will think that at the minute. It's like a lot of people that go, oh, well, you've got mid-journey. We don't need illustrators anymore, right? Bollocks, right? Because in truth, when you actually try and create real content in real projects, it all falls apart. It doesn't actually work as well. It looks very impressive on the on the surface, but when you actually try and use it in the real world, and trust me, I've tried, the, the quality, because I'm inherently lazy, the quality really isn't up to it. It's really good for um, inspiring you, uh, you know, setting good directions, making you think of things you wouldn't have previously thought of. It's good for experimentation, 
But actually, you can't just use it out of the box. You can't just say, write me an article on X and be happy with it. Well, at mm. least I can. And equally, mid-journey, I, I know, John, you want to have a good rant about AI um, <laughs> image creation. But mid-journey looks amazing and brilliant until you try and use it for something in anger. You know, um, so... I mean, I'm sure you'll pick a lot of other uh, 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 holes in it in a minute, uh, John, and I don't want to kind of steal your thunder. But if I if I actually try, I've been trying to use it on an actual website and it was something very simple. Like I wanted to produce an isometric image of a microphone, a book and a laptop. Right. Not difficult. Okay, the kind of thing you could find in 30 seconds on any stock image site. But for A.I., it actually was really difficult for me to get there. I, ha- I got there, but you had to use various um, kind of combinations of words in certain orders. And I had to do multiple iterations on an image to get there because it started to try and combine those into a single element. It didn't understand that they were separate things that had to be presented separately, but together. So there's all kinds of it's actually quite a frustrating process if you try and use it on a real project. So this is the mm. this is the question: Is it actually AI, or is it just software? Is well, it is it a... actually thinking for itself and learning, or is it just collecting data and you know, like a sort of a software sausage machine? Well, that's but that comes down to how you define intelligence, doesn't it? Because is not intelligence ultimately just taking data and and extrapolating from it? Well, learning from it, that's the one, isn't it? And it does. It has learned, but it's got, it reaches, it doesn't, I mean, the one that you said, John, which I think was a really very astute observation is, it's got no conception, something like Midjourney, which does image creation, or indeed any of these tools. They've got no conception of anatomy, have they? Oh, God. Right? You, I know, it's terrifying. <laughs> You'll regularly get ten-fingered hands mm. and, you know, and teeth. Limbs of, coming multiple from rolls of teeth. weird yeah. directions and, yeah. Mm. Eyelids, especially. You would have thought yeah. that it, it wouldn't mangle a face because it could just go and grab a face and say, well, I'm just mm. using, using that face. But, my goodness. I mean, nightmarish stuff. Yeah. Especially all the searches I've been doing for you, yeah. yeah why is it that everybody picks on me when they create images well i thought it would be useful to try internet celebrity because it's it's (laughs) it's most likely to know what you look like and it does that was the thing i was doing things like Mm. paul berg working in a chip shop uh paul berg eating a plowman's and it understood that you were kind of you know bald and glasses it's It got that, even though it wasn't using images of you, presumably mm-hmm. because of copyright or being very, being careful about where it's grabbing imagery from. So they weren't mm-hmm. actually you, but they were people that you think, you know, if you were, if 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 you would write, you know, robbed a bank and you were putting up people in yeah. a in a in a lineup, you might choose some of these people as a, you know, alternative Paul Boag. Well, it's not, it's not actually, the trouble is, is it's not actually using any imagery from anywhere. 
It's learning patterns from the imagery. Mm. So it's not like it's, it's, you know, it's going, okay, I'm going to go out and find a picture of Paul Boag and I'm going to use that. It's learnt characteristics or elements of me um, and humans in general. And it's categorised it's categorized them in some kind of way. I don't, I, I don't claim to understand the, the ins and outs mm. of how it works. I read a book on it uh, once. Uh, <laughs> I've forgotten most of it. Obviously, there's, there's musical versions uh, of, of AI, and you can ask whatever service it is to, to write a particular type of piece based on Bach or whatever, that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, the early days of that, I think music's probably easier than imagery um, to kind of do this, but obviously the... The style of bark, that's more, that's a harder thing to kind of nail down what that actually is. Like the style of Queen, for example, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but of course, a hundred experts in the room who didn't know that it was AI were bowled over by this this hidden or secret piece that no one had found yeah. for years. Um, whereas when they knew, they all said how awful it was and how soulless yeah. and whatever. So... I think it's actually a lot of this is down to um, our interpretation of what's being presented to us to a degree. Because mm. we know it's not real, um, but what does that actually mean? I think, that's, I, I think that's certainly more true with the textual content. I mean, in some ways, ChatGPT, chat even though it, it has inaccuracies in it, um, there's citation problems and various other issues around it, it it is more convincing than the quality of stuff you're getting out of some of the image editors. Mm. Um, you know, even something, I, I mean, I've tried most of them now um, and because I have no life. Um, and a mid journey is probably the standout in terms of visual fidelity and quality, etc. But I mean, you can spot it instantly. Mm. you know a, a mid-journey thing um it, it's got a particular style to yeah. it for mm. a start but the minute you look at anything like hands eyes uh teeth um then you know it's it's uh, ai generated not so true with other things not so true with like um you know areas like um you know a, a hallway or a or a, a, a landscape or stuff like that it's harder to tell there but as soon as you get people involved, you can tell that it's AI. Now, Andy's just posted in our chat a picture of him. What he could have looked like if he'd turned left. Yeah, exactly. With the <laughs> handsome, debonair version of him, which obviously he likes because it's flattering. So, so that, that's a slightly different thing because what's happened there is basically Andy has uploaded a, uh, an image of him that looks obviously nothing like that. Nowhere near as handsome, nowhere near as charismatic. <laughs> but, no, bas- so. but basically, he's uploaded an image of him and then it's interpreted it. That's a very different thing mm. because, because then it's got a reference point to start with. And this is really interesting with Midjourney. Um, I'd love to show you it, but it's an audio podcast, so I won't because that won't work. But... I thought, well, let's have a, let's try and create something real. So I thought, let's try and create a logo for Boag World, right? Okay, what would be a good logo for Boag World, you know, to experiment? Okay, I want a globe and I want an RV, little RV driving over the top of the globe, okay? Really simple, 
really simple. But no, could it, it couldn't get it. And it started to combine the RV with the globe <laughs> and try and mush them together into this thing. So all I did on a piece of paper, I drew a circle and I drew a little box on the top of it. Right. I photographed that, uploaded it to Midjourney as a reference piece and then put in the command. Now it got the idea. Uh, right. Yeah, right. So now it got the concept that it was. Now it did a really crappy um, uh, kind of basic version of it because it had been given a basic input. But then I took that and I said, now make it cartoon style or Disney style or whatever. I can't remember the command I used. And that got me closer to it again because it now got an extra prompt. And I grabbed that and I repeated the process with that new image and so on. And you can kind of increment your way there if you give it something to work with. And that's why those profiles, everybody's getting their, their profiles created, you know, pictures of themselves looking like they, they live in outer space or whatever. That's why it's so good we're doing that because it's got a good reference piece. Mm. So, oh, show us, Paul, show us. What, show you what? Yeah, your new logo. Oh, no, it's, it's, it came out shit. I'm not going to really use it. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was terrible. I mean, you wouldn't use it on a real thing. But um, So, John, you're not out of a job, mate. It's, well, it's all right. Yeah, it's interesting because, obviously, I've got a bit of a problem yet. with the whole kind of... Yeah, exactly, yet. <laughs> um, you know, I've got a problem with the whole kind of you know, use of copyright, you know, like obviously yeah. to get these illustration styles, you know, where has Midjourney got them from existing artwork from illustrators? Yeah. I mean, I do think, I do think it's coming for stock imagery first. Yes. I think, I think before it sort of starts taking a, uh, illustrators um, jobs away, I think stock imagery is where it's going to be the, the most useful, particularly when you want something very specific like Paul Boag walking through the streets of Saffron Walden as a giant, which, <laughs> again, it didn't understand. It didn't understand the idea that for to be a giant, you had to be taller than the street, you know, you had to be massive. Yeah. Um, maybe I need to specify the, the actual height. As long as it's not figurative, it comes out a lot better. And the mm. one example I've seen recently was um, there's a new Mastodon uh, client called Ice Cubes. Yeah. And when I saw it really small, I thought, oh, yeah, that's really nice. It's like going back to the days of really highly detailed, realistic icons. Mm, so I downloaded I the app and had a look at it, and it has the option to change the um, the application icon to be one of these other variants. And as soon as you looked at that, it was obvious these are all AI art, you know, yeah. um, renderings. And, you know, they were good. The, there wasn't any problem with it. You understood how a glass worked how lots of ice would be with some liquid. It, it got all that. Um, but what it did do was having that classic, and I think it's a, maybe a mid-journey thing, the lighting, you know, it's kind of got yeah. this sort of bluish lighting, but with a sort of warm side lighting on it as well. And you, it had that kind of look of, you know, it had just been churned out. Like, you know, here's all the various ones I got from the prompt, you know, and I'll just bung them in there as an application icon. Now, obviously, for an in, indie developer, that's maybe a, quite a good way to do that. Um, but that is some, you know, like that's a job, you know, someone doing the application icon um, and that job being replaced by, you know, prompts, basically. 
yeah, yes, yeah, no. I, th- I mean, there's some really interesting issues around this because, yeah, I, it could, the, the lower end, I mean, you're right, stock imagery be the first to go. Once it sorts out its algorithm, then, then you can just ask for what you want and it, it'll be great. Then it's going to, like you say, it's going to take some of those low paid jobs, okay, um, the, the kind of bottom end of the, the illustration market. But even that, it's quite interesting. It's creating new jobs in its own right. There are people out there that are making money from doing good mid-journey prompts. It's almost like illustrations turning into programming because it's it's very to get what you want out of it takes a whole skill set in itself, right? So that's interesting. Now, in terms of your kind of the kind of stuff that you do slightly higher. Because of the limitations of mid-journey and where it begins to fall down, if anything, what it's created in me is, I really like that. That's a really good image, but this is wrong and that's wrong and I can't sort it out. John would be able to do that (laughs) for me. So it almost makes me want to go to an illustrator and say, look, this is the kind of thing I had in mind. This is my inspiration, right? But do it properly, will you, John? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, because yeah. it doesn't understand a load of stuff. So I think it could be a useful tool, actually, as a way of getting the client to be thinking about where they want to go with the direction of, of yeah. Work. And I think we, in terms of from the for the illustrator's point of view, in terms of getting reference, um, you know, if it's something that's just a little bit out of the ordinary, um, like I mean, one of the um, the prompts I did was Paul Boag on enjoying a roller coaster with Mr. Blobby. So um, if I was illustrating that, I would have to sort of put together a few different kind of sources, um, which again is part of the skill of the illustrator. But as a starting point, some of them weren't bad. You can kind of imagine, okay, I haven't thought about doing that angle or that kind of lighting. And this possibility there as an actual kind of tool um, even if it's just like, you know, you could say, you know, just just give me like a, a wooden figure type mm. uh, illustration of mm. someone doing this. Um, just as a get that quick starting point to sort of bounce off the actual actual illustration yeah. itself. So I, I can see possibly good uses for it. But then again, like you were mentioning there about the prompts and the fact that some people are very guarded about their prompts and saying, you know, if you want to know how to do the right prompts, you have to buy my book or, you know, yeah, um, yeah. And that really pisses me off. That's the, that's where it kind of feels <laughs> like humanity has gone to such a, a shit level that, um, that people are talking about prompts as if they're an artist. And I think that's, um, yeah, it, it uh, annoyed me a bit. Yeah, I can understand it annoying you, but it's that, that, just that's the way it goes, isn't it? That's how, you know, in the same way as you don't give away your skills for free, a programmer doesn't write code for free, mm. you know. <clears throat> that, you know, if you've got something that's in demand, then fair enough. Going back to the issue of, of copyright um, and whether we're getting into copyright infringement, this, this is fascinating to me because this is a really interesting area. I can understand, you know, I can go in and I can say, in fact, I tried it. It didn't work very well with you, John, unfortunately. But you can go in and say, you know, produce a logo in the style of, of John Hick, uh, Hicks. And, and, you know, it was, all right. it was OK, but it, it didn't really get anything of your style, in my opinion. Um, but if you go for something, you know, more, more mainstream, like, you know, 
produce me a skyscraper in the in a style of Geiger from you know the Aliens films, mm. then you you definitely get something in that kind of style, and it, it's kind of quite spooky. But beyond that, with the more generic learning that it can do, is that any different to the rest of us? You know, we all are influenced by stuff that we see online. Mm-hmm. We all build. So it's very difficult to, to argue maybe that it, is it a copyright? Is it plagiarism or is it being inspired in the same way as you and I are? I will let someone else speak in a second. But this is well, so some, same with me. Well, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. And, you know, is it just inspiration? You know, when you know, we go through our lives and we say we see that, and, oh, I want to do something mm. like that. And you kind of try and copy the style. But actually what happens is your um, your own life experiences, your own abilities and your own sense of style um, come into play. So you never do an exact copy. You never actually no. you know, slavishly do something like that. Whereas my feeling is that a computer does. You know, it doesn't mm. understand contexts or, uh, or ways of changing it, ways of doing the similar thing but differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's more of a replication thing. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, I mean, you but, know, we all we all take experiences and inspirations, you know. But you know, it, you can maybe say that you can see, or oh, I can see an inspiration from, but actually, I can also see how it's not a direct copy. You know, mm. the, the the by far the the AI that I'm actually using the most at the moment. Is is the text based stuff? I've not not mm. really other than other than for fun. I've not really got any use out of the the imagery stuff yet. I don't feel that I could use it on a project or a design or or despite trying. Um, <laughs> but but from the text side of things, I'm using it a lot, especially for like I'm writing a big report at the moment for um, University of Oxford where I'm oh. I, I'm trying I'm trying to. Um, help them make a business case for building a UX team within the organisation. And uh, so I've got to write this long, rambling report, as you have to do for these things. And, Chap, and GPT, I, write me a report. <laughs> no, I haven't, no, I've not done that. But what I have done is I've, um, I've used a tool that's very similar to Chat GPT, uh, GPT called uh, Como. Como.ai, K-O-M-O.ai. Now, what's so nice about that tool is it provides you with citations. It says where it's got its information from. Now, then you can say, give me a statistic that says that UX teams pay for themselves, you know, or give me a quote saying that digital transformation and UX are interlinked, you know, and and that that's brilliant for report writing. And then, of course, after I've written the report, I can use, um, I write everything in Notion and Notion has now started to integrate AI into it, um, into the, into you know, its system as well. So I just select all the text and I say, make my writing better. And it goes through and it just corrects all my grammar, it shortens my sentence structure and it just tidies up the whole thing. Now that is useful. That's mm. where AI is actually useful on a day-to-day basis, you know, not creating you know, fantasy imagery, which seems to be the only thing Midjourney does a really good job <laughs> at, in my opinion. Isn't that what Grammarly does? Mm. No, I see, yeah. But the big difference between Grammarly 
Yes, it is what Grammarly does. And in some senses, Grammarly is using machine learning to do that. The difference with using AI to do it is that it won't ask me for every single change that it's going to make, right? It'll just go through and tidy up the whole thing. Then I can read through it one last time and go, oh, you've made me sound a bit not like me there. And just kind of, uh, you know, while we grammarly, you have to kind of apply every single one and make a decision about every single thing. So it's a lot quicker than Grammarly. You can also do things which Grammarly won't do. Like, for example, you can say, write me an executive summary for this report, which is exactly what I did. Um, you know, and it, it summarized the whole report. And then you could go, no, you've summarized it too short. Make it a bit longer and it'll make it a bit longer. Or you can go through and say, this could do with being a bit more scannable, make it more scannable. And it puts more bullets points in and stuff like that. So that kind of thing is really, really useful. So that's Notion that's doing that. Notion has now got basically it's got. So underneath chat GPT is, is something called um, open AI. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, uh, and I can't remember it's version three. I think of that. So effectively what chat, uh, what, Notion has done is integrated into that underlying API, the the OpenAI um, API, um, and and brought it directly into Notion. Now it's it's something you have to sign up for, and you're on a waiting list. But I've I've got to the point where I've been approved, which means I've I've got this built in, and it is a game changer because you can also do loads of other things. So, for example, um, another really nice thing you can do is you can go. Um, I've got to write a blog post about what did I have to write a blog post on recently for uh, for smashing? Um, uh, I can't remember what it was. It's gone out of my head. It's- users are bastards. <laughs> yeah, users are users are bastards, right? So so, and you say, give me some, give me give me a structure for an an article about users are bastards, and it will give me all the different headings and subheadings and all the rest of it. And then I can fill in the gaps or I could change it around if I want to, which I normally do. But it's a starting point. It avoids that blank page scenario of, mm. right, shit, where do we start here? Mm. So it's really good at that. It does, it, you know, summarizing documents, action points, you know, that you, you want to draw out things. You name it. It's kind of you can ask it to do pretty much anything, really. Right then. Money we your mouth this time. Right. So... so. Is IA in the next yes. 20, 30 years going to put us out of a job? And, and I, I'm, I've left that deliberately um, vague, as in us. My answer, um, my answer is yes, it will. Um, yeah. I think it will. I think it will. I think the job that we're doing today will not be the job we're doing in 20 years. Um, well, hopefully, but, I'm retired in twenty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't exactly. give a toss, thank, frankly. But yeah, no. But you know, yeah. what you know what I'm saying. I think that I I think that what you've just said, Paul, about uh, Notion. I mean, any salesperson worth their salt will be using that. Yeah. From t- today, uh, they should oh, be. You know. I do it. When I joke about the fact that. People occasionally write to me, say to me that that my emails are a bit kind of blunt, I think is the word that that people have used before. Unfeeling, Paul, unfeeling. Yeah, you know, all of this. I hope you had a great weekend crap that everybody else seems to put on the beginning of their emails. I don't do. So so a lot of the time now I just take my email, copy and paste it into chat GPT and say, make this friendlier. 
I seriously do. Yeah. And it does, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and then I send that. So it's exactly the same. Sometimes I'll just write a couple of bullet points. You know, I want to communicate these, these key things, write the whole lot. And I it also, does it. I'm also convinced that all marketing, everything we read to a degree will be unless it's a novel and even then i think eventually will be people will be filling they'll be doing what you do they'll be write me a novel and then editing it a bit so if if in 20 years it takes over everyone's jobs is there going to be this little small niche market for um artisan human made things of course yeah lawyers might be out of a job because analyzing what things mean is something that humans potentially, maybe for a little bit longer, will be required for. I'm not so sure about that. To say that we're going to be out of jobs is absolutely incorrect, right? I think what will happen is all of our jobs will fundamentally change, okay? So, I mean, it's even it's happening now, right? My job is changing because of AI. I'm having to write less boilerplate, right? I can, I can articulate my ideas quicker, than I was ever able to do before. So it's like any technology. I remember when desktop publishing computers first came along, all right? And all of those people that were painstakingly, you know, putting Letraset down and all that stuff would go, oh, I'm going to be out of a job. No, right? Yes, the bottom fell out of the market because people could see you could do it themselves. Then they realised everything they did was crap. And actually you needed someone else to, you know, that was specialist in getting the most out of that new tool. And so, you know, graphic designers were reborn in a slightly different form. And I think the same is going to be true with AI. AI Mm. is always going to need a partner. It's always going to need someone to work with, right? Yeah. uh, You know, and I think there's always going to be a degree of human interaction. Now, there will be exceptions. I think I could imagine ads are a good example of, of something that would be entirely automated because effectively the AI could cycle through and analyze huge numbers of ads um, to see which ones resonate the best and, and get the most results. But in a lot of areas, especially creative endeavors, especially endeavors where you're interacting with other humans, then I think there's always going to be a degree of... That's what I kind of meant when I said take our jobs. I think there will be, A, fewer jobs, quite a lot fewer jobs, and B, a lot more humans. So human race needs to deal with this quite quickly. I don't think it's necessary for us because we're old men, so it's not really a subject for this podcast. But it's a big thing coming our way. People will come out of university hugely qualified and there won't be any jobs for them by the by the thousands well it had to happen Mm. it had to happen we've we've mentioned retirement and Mm. old men um so once every podcast (laughs) yeah Yeah. but i mean you say that but how many times has that been said before marcus over the generations yet you know, technology was supposed to replace all our jobs, right? Computers were supposed to replace all our jobs. And yet unemployment it's... is at the lowest level that it's ever been. And, and so proportionally, I th- all I think is it changes jobs. There will be new jobs. When, when I trained, right, when I went to university, the internet didn't friggin' exist, right? Mm. My job did not exist. I should have been a print designer, Right. And yes, there are far fewer print design jobs than there are today. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And so you could have concluded back in 1987 or whenever it was that I was picking my options, you know, that... Well, you were an idiot, jobs, Paul. <laughs> yeah, that I was, you know, my job would cease to exist and I picked a terrible career. Yep. It's no future in print design, but I've ended up being a web designer. I, I agree, you know? but um, it's definitely the A plus B that's why I feel the way I feel. It's not just that there's new technology, although I think this technology is more game-changing than anything else because of the, it's intelligence uh, with my fingers in the air. And again, part, part of this is my kind of anger at why, why we're doing, spending all this time researching doing this rather than tackling a problem like dust. You know, why can't the people just like explore and, and find a way that means you never have to dust again? Like your house, you never have to hoover, you never have to get a duster, you know, cobwebs and all that kind of stuff. All the boring parts of life. Um, Mm. I would like the boffins to tackle that, quite frankly. (laughs) I can feel a letter to the Times. (laughs) Actually, now you think about it, our lives are full of other areas which would be far more useful for efficiencies to happen in. Washing up. I'd quite happily never wash up again. Mm. That's another you wash one. up. I told you the story about my ghost, <laughs> and you didn't believe it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be another one that I would quite happily get rid of. Which reminds me, I, I've got a bone to pick with you, Paul Bag. Ooh, what have I yes. done? I've been waiting. I've been waiting several weeks for a heartfelt apology from you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Because when I revealed that, sadly, I'd experienced a bout of gout, you (laughs) couldn't contain your laughter. And I just want to say, you know, I hope you get it. I hope your big toe joints swell to the size of a Gilbert rugby ball, like mine did. Because I don't think I've ever experienced anything quite so painful. People talk about men, they don't understand pain, women have to do, give birth to children. No! This was bad! <laughs> and you, you poor bag, just, you just laughed it off. Okay. You just made, you belittled me, you just made light of it. Well, the you problem made light is, of my suffering. Gout is a funny concept. You know, <laughs> if, kind of... unless you've had it, Gout brings to mind kind of like a, I don't know, an 18th century Georgian huge man eating steak and drinking gallons of red wine. You know, they're the kind of people that got gout, you know. And I think they still are. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) And that that is the crux of it. Gout gout is, is, I'm going to get in trouble for this because everybody who's ever um, suffered from gout is now going to gang up on me and cancel me. But... Gout is one of those largely self-inflicted conditions, right? Yeah, it comes down to bad diet and bad exercise, doesn't it? Let's well, be I honest. don't have a bad diet, and I oh, don't you do any so exercise. Do. I do not. I do not. I, I do not I exercise. How, how many <laughs> times, Andy? How many times have you talked about going for to the greasy spoon? Right, um, that is your favourite thing to do in the world. It is, and I go once a week for a breakfast. Once a week. That's not too much. Henry VIII did, <laughs> did it way more times than that. And he had gout. Who you imagine gets gout? 
and he had gout far, far worse than you do, right? I you mean, did you know, recover from your gout fairly quickly, if I may be. May I, be I, I did. Thank you to um, thank you to um, ibuprofen and um, oh God, we're really getting into the, uh, the old man podcast <laughs> and a cherry based supplement. Ooh, okay. Which I can heartily recommend. Apparently, right. cherries have a thing in them. Yeah, cherries are the thing. Right. Cherries have a thing in them that uh-huh. um, that stops the gout. Anyway, fortunately, my gout has gone, but my resentment at your laughter has not. <laughs> so, to be to be fair, I do agree. My reaction was inappropriate <laughs> because I I I'm I can feel a non, non-apology said. coming no, on no, here. No, 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 no. <laughs> Quick, no, no. get Jack because GPT out to write an apology. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do that. Right, let's, I'm going to do that right now. Um, yes, but it's funny. Gout's funny. There's nothing you can do about that. It's, it's supposed to be agony. Funny... Uh, I know, and that's why I am actually sorry, because I know it's very painful. But I've never had it, Paul. You know, I've, uh, you know, not treated my body like a temple. Still don't. <laughs> <laughs> what I love, it, what I love, is that we've been talking about AI for about f- fifty minutes, and Andy's obviously been sitting there all this time saying, "Right, shut up! I want to talk about gout." <laughs> <laughs> well, because I know more about gout than I know about AI. So, okay, uh... okay, here we go, here we go, dear Andy. I'm so sorry for laughing at you for having gout. That was thoughtless and insensitive of me. I should have been more understanding and shown more compassion. I, should have I understand been more understanding. how uncomfortable and painful gout can be, and I regret how I reacted. I hope you can forgive me. Yours sincerely, your name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice touch. Oh, that was beautiful. That was that was beautiful. I, heart, I, I that feel came a, straight from my heart. That did. I, I, I feel a tingle, um, and it's not in my big toe. Mastodon. Mastodon. Yeah, let's talk about Mastodon. We're not in a hurry, are we? <laughs> yeah. I can't be bothered with it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mastodon looked fine. It looked like Twitter, but more complicated. But it didn't have all the toxicity of uh, Twitter. Great. That's a good, that's it's a good a, thing. It's, 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 a, it's not owned by Elon Musk. Also a good thing. I can't be bothered with another social network. That's fine. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to be. Is it, is it good? Are you enjoying it? Hmm. I, yeah, I am enjoying it. I've, I've, it's been really strange, actually, um, because, you know, I was a fairly hefty t- personal Twitter user. I wasn't, you know, mm. always just pimping my stuff. Which um, I do. Although, mm. it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I d- you know, I did use it a lot, and I always used it in the way that it was kind of originally intended, I think, which mm. was that whole kind of, you know, do you remember when it used to say, what are you doing, or mm. what's happening, yeah. or something like that? I just that. burnt I my just toast, burnt. and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I've just Eating, got gout. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, that, that kind of thing. Um, and for some reason, and I don't know quite, I don't understand quite why, um, I just started to not wean myself off it because it kind of wasn't intentional, but I just sort of stopped doing that kind of tweet Mm. in a way because it didn't seem like the sort of place where you could just idly say something. Mm. And then, obviously, with the whole kind of third-party client, because I was a big TweetBot user for about as long as TweetBot was around, and I think I used Twitterific before that. Mm. So I never experienced 
Twitter's version of Twitter, you know, yeah. Twitter the company mm. version of Twitter. Um, I did have the third-party app on my phone because occasionally I might want to do some stupid poll about whether TIE fighters were cooler than Klingon battlecruisers, um, which they are. Well, no, the battle cruisers are cooler than oh, TIE fighters. that's a relief. <laughs> yes. But, so I would, every now and again, I would do a poll um, or something like that. But I never, I never had to experience the algorithmic timeline or the for you or whatever. Um, and then obviously with Twitter killing third-party apps and, you know, all of a sudden TweetBot not working, you know, my only option to carry on using Twitter is how they think Twitter should be, which is through the first-party app, and it's just mm. it's just horrible. I mean, I, you know, I can look at what I think is my timeline page, and there's, you know, it's not just people that I'm following. It's ads and promoted mm. this and, you know, John Hicks replied to somebody that I've never heard of or whatever. And Mastodon is just like Twitter used to be in mm. the early days. Mm. And I don't care that, you know... I still follow, I think it's 18 of the 50 people that I follow on Twitter because um, not everybody uses Mastodon. So it's just a lot quieter, but you just feel in some way that it's kind of much more back to that original... Um, it fulfills that original need of me just wanting to say something out loud. Mm. Um, and since... Um, I and mean, I've been waiting for this. I've used several Mastodon apps. I've used the official one. I used Ice Cubes for a little while, which is, you know, very, very nice. And then Ivory comes out last... Or this week, in fact, which is... Um, or th- three weeks ago, if Marcus edits this. When he <laughs> Sometime in May, maybe. I don't know. Sometime in... <laughs> you know, who knows? Um, and obviously, you know, Mastodon is, is based on the Twitter... Uh, the, the Tweetbot engine. Um, mm. And all of a sudden, it just feels like home again, and mm. uh, and I really like it. So I'm just, I mean, encouraging people to you know switch over to Mastodon, because if if all you really want to do is to, you know, if you want to promote something to an audience, then you know, yeah, I would probably still go on there and you know tweet a blog post or tweet a link to a product that I'm selling or something like that. But if I'm just going to say something out loud then I do that on Macedon now. So you're going to see me a hell of a lot less um, talking about TIE fighters and battle cruisers on Twitter. Do you know what? You've, you've convinced me. Same. I, I, you've convinced me because, because it's like I could do somewhere that's for me and nothing to do with business. Mm. You know? And actually, that would be really nice because Facebook... You, I, mean, I can't cope with Facebook. It's all my weird relatives and people that I don't yeah. want to talk to. It's, exactly. But, I do use Facebook, but I don't use it. Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah, very, yeah. very rare that I'll post it. It's anything. to keep in contact with people, but mm, other yeah. than that. I only use it for... I, I only set up an account when we went to Australia, mm. and I use it because, you know, all of my weird collection of relatives are on Facebook. Mm. There is a connection that you need to keep, but... To actually go and, like you say, I feel the need to say something. Facebook mm. ain't that place. But yeah, the other to... great thing about Mastodon yeah. is that it's no algorithms. So what, matter what you do, like who you follow or who you like or who you, you know, boost or retweet, 
it's not affecting anything. There's no algorithm mm. behind the scenes going, ah, you like that. Maybe you would like some of this. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's up to you completely what you do. And it's, there's no sort of influ- outside influence. And I think that's part of the whole, like Andy was saying, that feeling of just being able to say something. You know, whereas on Twitter you think, is it worth doing this? Am I going to get the kind of replies that just makes it not worth doing? Probably, mm. but then on Master, and you think, nah, it's a nice, it's a nice community, at least within the people that I follow at the moment. Yeah, at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And but, there's no crypto bros. That's another thing. You know, oh. on Twitter, I'm getting so much crypto spam. But mm. it's are uh, you really? I don't. I get say that. so much once a month. But you know, I'm always getting like, <laughs> that's rip- too much. <laughs> I know, it's once a month too much. It's <laughs> yeah. twelve times a year. God damn it! Um, but you know, like you know, mentioned in something about some new crypto scheme or something. You know, there seems to be a lot on Twitter. But no, nah, Mastodon's good. I mean, I think to be honest, the big thing with Mastodon is getting over that hump of choosing a server and finding other people and following them, which is just like you do with like email and podcasts. You know, mm. like you choose a podcast app and then you. Have to go and find the podcast that you want to listen to. You know, it's um, it's just not as centralised as Twitter was. That's all. So the way that it works, Marcus, is that it's all part of this sort of federated network. Right. So instead of there being, you know, the central Twitter core, which is obviously run by Twitter, it's a Mastodon's based on a, a protocol, if you like, that enables different Mastodon servers or instances, as they're called, Mm. to all talk to each other. Okay. So, for example, Mastodon, as the open source project, hosts its own instances, Mastodon.social being one of the most popular ones or most used ones, and that's the one that I'm on. So you, you can also run your own Mastodon server. So you can either do that by um, actually signing up to a Mastodon hosting service, or you can actually host your own on your own servers. So you could actually have, you know, headscape.social or whatever you wanted it to be, and you could be, you know, Marcus at mastodon uh, at headscape.social right or something like that and these things all talk to each other so there are moderators everybody that runs a mastodon server is in charge of you know moderation in a way so they will have their own policies about hate speech or other stuff which you know they don't tolerate and they also have their own policies about other servers that they won't talk to so, you know, Mastodon.social won't talk to servers that, um, you know, have a lot of kind of alt-right, white nationalist whatever. Good. Which is a good, <laughs> yes. which is a great thing because it means that that stuff actually never turns up in your timeline. Um, I didn't and, know that. That's mm. good. Yeah. So there's, there's this thing. So, you, you know, you can either run your own Mastodon instance or you can sign up to a Mastodon instance. And the cool thing is, is that you can change it. So if mm. I decided that Mastodon Social was not for me anymore and I wanted to set up malarkey.social, then I can just move everything and it includes followers and stuff like that to a new instance. So... It's a very, very kind of interesting protocol. Mm. And the really interesting thing, and I only discovered this last week, was 
Um, there are other services that are built on the same kind of federated technology. People that understand this stuff are going to be like shaking their heads because Andy's going to get it completely, completely <laughs> you're wrong. Not, you're not but, going to start talking about blockchain, are you? Because then we're going to no, end up back at crypto. About, nothing about <laughs> blockchain. But, okay. for example, I, you know, I like to post my pictures. But, and I post my pictures to Instagram. But the, 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 the thing is, is that then I'm putting that content into a, another person's walled garden, if you like. There's a, there's a service called PixelFed, which is um, essentially it's like Instagram, but in the Fediverse. So I can post my pictures to that, which is, you know, interesting. But the cool thing is, is that with Ivory, which is the, um, the Mastodon app that I use now, not only did I add the account for my, um, my Mastodon feed, but I also added my account from um, PixelFed as well. So I can actually post pictures and post tweets or toots or whatever they're called on there, posts through the same app to different things. And it's, it's almost like you've got this ecosystem of different services that you can host yourself as well um, that all kind of talk to each other. And it's really interesting. I can imagine in the future... Um, there being this kind of, and I think it's down to this, um, I think it's called Activity Pub, which is this kind of standard for uh, this kind of communication. Um, I can imagine, you know, opening an app or a browser window or whatever, and everything that is kind of federated is going to be there. You know, it's going to be like my RSS, it's going to be, you know, my pictures, my social posts. My, you know, maybe my news articles or whatever that all kind of come through this, you know, this one channel, um, and I just think that's incredibly interesting. And it's nice because there's nothing to do with Web three or crypto or any of that. You know, it's just it's almost like RSS basically. It's like a really simple, well, not simple, but it's just a you know a protocol that can be reused and in many different ways. It's great. I'm sold. So, yeah, to finish this off, I would recommend, dear listener and dear co-hosts, that you actually take a little bit of a dive into Mastodon. It's, um, I think you find it a nice little space to be in. Well, thank you very much for joining us on this actually rather serious, rather kind of intellectual episode of uh, One Footer in the Grave. And uh, we will see you next time. God willing.